Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network, where we expose the lies and emphasize the truth about health in our modern world. Welcome, everybody. Today is December 11th, uh, 2015. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. And joining me in our virtual studio from all across the planet, we have a full complement of hosts today, which is awesome. Doug, Tiffany, Erica, Gabby, and Elliot. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Hello. Hi, everybody. Awesome. So uh, today we're going to be looking into the topic of body work. Um Massage, rolfing, yoga, Pilates, Lomi Lomi, fascia release, chiropractic. There are many different methods and modalities for uh, physically working on our bodies, so we'll be discussing many of these. Um, we'll also talk about the concepts behind the work of Peter Levine, Alexander Lowen, and a few others um, who talk about this connection between emotions and trauma being stored in your body tissues. Um, we'll be talking about posture how your posture reflects your internal state and how working on the body can benefit uh, not only physically but uh, psychologically and emotionally. There's a lot of interesting things in this topic. And we did want to do something a little bit lighter after our show last week about radiation. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so today's a bit of a lighter topic, uh, but important nonetheless. Um, I think posture and uh just general body work, um, some of these kind of subtle things um, we don't think about very often. I know for myself, um, I work at a computer, and I, I use a standing desk, but uh, it's, it's a struggle to maintain good posture and, um, and just kind of remember it. You really have to train yourself to sit and move um, in different ways than you're used to. Um, and I think it's, it's, you know, if you look across, especially the Western world, it's, it's a huge problem. Uh, especially with the prevalence of office jobs and sitting jobs. Everybody's hunched and tense, um, and we don't really get as much activity as we should, and so there's a lot of tension built up in these uh, tissues in our body. So that's what we're going to talk about today, the issues in your tissues. Um, so, uh, Erica, do you want to get us started with that article that you had, and that kind of get us into the topic for today? Yeah, so in... Um this month in Yoga Journal Magazine, um, there was an excellent article published called uh, Fascia, Fascinating Connective Tissue, and it was um, written by Lacey Moiser and Charles McClurney. He's kind of a specialist in the yoga world on fascia, and I just wanted to start off with this because it's really interesting about uh, the issues in your tissues and how we store stress and tension and how we can all feel it, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you're stiff. And um, so basically just a, a basic definition of fascia is your connective tissue. And he uses the analogy that it's kind of like a pomegranate. Um, your skin is the outer shell while your organs, muscles, and bones are the juicy seeds. And then all the white parts and pockets are what fascia is in your body. And so he talks about what healthy fascia looks like. It should be well hydrated and have a gel-like consistency. Its fluid state mm -hmm. allows it to move and glide without resistance. Unhealthy fascia is tight and hardened and crystallized. And when the fascia tightens down, the fluid can't move through it. So again, have you ever noticed when you wake up in the morning, you're 
stiff? That's because little adhesions build up on your fascia overnight. And um, mm-hmm. basically, it, it, what fascia likes is uh, movement, variety. It's constantly re- reworking itself. And they say you can tell what someone does for a living by their fascia. So like what Jonathan was saying, if you spend a lot of time sitting, you're hunched over, you have tightness in various parts of your body. And so the greater variety, the better. So even if you sit a lot, it's good, and we've talked about this in previous shows, to get up and move around every 20 minutes. He also says if you, like, lift weights or you're a, a runner or a walker to change things up a little bit because too much repetitive action will also cause um, tightness in the fascia. So the carpal tunnel and such, so highly repetitive movements are the absolute worst thing you can do for your fascia causes the fascia to grip and start laying down supporting cables to help the muscles. And even a sport can be highly repetitive. The trick is to change things up. And then he talks a little bit about how bad posture impacts your fascia. So uh, there's a saying by Thomas Myers that movement becomes habit and habit becomes posture. Posture becomes structure. So when you have bad posture... It causes a muscle to hold for a long period of time. The body starts laying down fascia like the metal cables to take the load off the muscles. And what what started as a movement quickly becomes a habit, which then becomes your posture, which eventually becomes your structure. And by the time it's a structure, there's not a lot you can do. And then he goes into how stress and trauma affect fascia, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about in our show today. And it's really a fascinating topic. Um, They find that fascia responds uh, dynamically to stress. It can change to be more crystalline and rigid, or it can be more fluid and gel-like. And it happens surprisingly quickly. When you're relaxed, it turns into more of like a gel-like structure, and you become flexible. And then when you're stressed or under fear or trauma, it tightens up under pressure to protect you. So um, one other thing he talks about, um, what's the latest fascia discovery or theory? They're finding now that fascia is highly integrated with the nerves. So no one realized this before. They just thought it was connective tissue and they never really took a closer look at it. But now they believe that fascia runs through the nerves as well as the muscles. It's everywhere. And they believe there is a higher density of nerves and nerve receptors in the fascia than there are in the retina of the eye. So this means that your entire body is conscious and taking in information and processing it. And this led to a theory that the feedback from the fascial system is the key to balance. So practicing balancing with the eyes closed can really help increase our consciousness of the whole body and the dialogue between the fascia and the nerves. And one Mm -hmm. thing that he does say that's really important is to remember that fascia is fluid and it needs to be hydrated. And so they talk about hydration being essential to fascia, 
but not necessarily chugging a liter of water to do the job. The fluid has to work its way through the fascia, but like the bread, blood and heart, and the heart, for example, there's nothing pumping it through the body. So it's the types of movements and the stretches you do that get fluid moving through the fascia. The best thing in the world is any type of rhythmic contraction and relaxing exercises. So stretching, turning upside down, you know, doing handstands or headstands or inversion tables. And, um, yeah, so we'll touch more on this idea of fascia. But, um, again, what fascia doesn't like is too much static. It's immobilizing mm-hmm. and in, inactivity can cross bound with the fascist sheath so when you don't stretch instead of gliding inside this nice smooth fascial sheath you get oxidation and the nerve gets attached to the sheath and you can't move freely Mm -hmm. anyone interested um this charles mcclerney has written and he gives lectures he's actually been teaching uh yoga for 11 years and continually updates his information on fascinating fascia. That is mm-hmm. fascinating. But I I wonder how much it's like, you know, when you wake up feeling like a shell or your all your fascia feels like, you know, tightened. It's not much about uh lack of hydration, but more as you said, lack of movement, but also a lot of inflammatory food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can really feel it when We're I eat something about inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say that when I feel that I eat something inflammatory, yes, I feel like, you know, I'm all tightened, like a shell, like, you know, it's hard to move. It's harder to move. Yeah. Well, talking about fascia makes me think about rolfing or structural integration, because mm-hmm. that's all about loosening up the fascia. So uh, I had some sciatica pain. I think it was due to sitting down for too long, not being used to sitting for too long, and then immediately jumping into lifting weights without giving myself time to acclimate. So I had some really bad sciatica pain. And I tried uh, chiropractic and it didn't work. But uh, what Erica said is interesting about the fascia being connected to the nerves. Because I got rolfed a couple of times. And probably by the second rolfing session, all my pain was gone. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah, rolfing is really great. Yeah. No, I've, I've... Go ahead. No, I was going to say that I also tried rolling a few years ago. And um, whereas I used to be very active when I was a teenager, um, later on, you know, university and all that, I became very, you know, I didn't do any type of physical exercise at all. And uh, I got rolled. I got 10 sessions. And it was interesting that my roller told me, okay, so the changes are going to set in probably within six months or one year. And I didn't know what he referred to, but he said that maybe, you know, I was going to pick an interest 
to do a new sport or do or be more physical or be more conscious about my body. And thought that was interesting because that is what happened later on. I started to do again physical exercise and I felt more, you know, more free in my own body, in my own movement in my own movements. It was a great yeah. experience. I had a similar experience with Rolfing actually. I I went for uh Rolfing as well. Um and it completely like changed my posture and and how I actually stand. Like uh people actually commented on it. I think I might have even gotten a little bit taller. Um because you know, I used to be quite hunched over. Um and I think that's still not 100% better, but um you know, just by going through the rolfing where they are, you know, just if people don't know what rolfing is, it's kind of uh, um, a, a method where it's kind of like the the, uh, the practitioner does kind of like almost a hard massage, like really kind of gets in there, working those tissues, uh, the idea being to kind of break up the fascia that's maybe uh, become in this kind of chronic position um, that isn't beneficial. Um, so they get in there and they really kind of work it um, to get they really uh, that. They really work it. Yeah, they really work it. Uh, it can be quite painful, but I mean, of course, if you have a good uh, a good practitioner, they'll be con- in constant communication with you and make sure they're not like hurting you too much. But uh, yeah, just really uh, the the experience that I had, like I I, I came out of going through the uh, kind of ten rolfing sessions, which is like they they have these ten sessions where they kind of work through the body uh, in different different areas, and and after the ten sessions, I felt like a new person. Like I really kind of felt like structurally um at the very base i was in uh i was more loose um i was able to move a lot better um i wasn't as stiff in the morning like a, a lot actually changed i didn't have any kind of chronic condition i was working on or anything but uh but just overall it just seemed like such a beneficial thing it's like you almost have this uh this habit um of movement or of of posture um that you know, over your however many years you've been on this planet, you're kind of like kind of stuck in this, this, uh, this same kind of habit. And rolfing, or I imagine other types of uh, fascial release therapies as well, will kind of alter that. And uh, you know, I, I think we're going to get into this a bit later, but I think that really does kind of also free up your mind and your thinking patterns because these things are kind of reflected in each other. So. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm. I did have some weird experiences when I got rolled, um, like, you know, um, like release of emotion, uh, especially mm. with sports session, and also guided visualizations. I had a very good golfer. Overall, it was like a very holistic experience. You will think they will only be body work, physical therapy, but no, I found out that it really worked at all levels. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting thing about it. I mean, usually people think about body work as being something that's only kind of in the physical. Like we we always tend to separate the physical from the mental and the emotional. And usually when you when you the only time you would go for body work is if you're having some sort of physical issue. Like, oh, I've got uh this kind of knee pain that I have to deal with or a lower back pain or something along those lines. But I think one thing that that really seems to be um coming out uh, especially now is is this connection between uh the physical and the mental emotional um and the idea that you know these chronic patterns of thought or uh chronic uh emotional responses to things can actually manifest themselves in the body and uh you know 
there's, there's, there are practitioners out there who will look at a physical issue and kind of connect it more to uh, something uh, more akin to like an emotional pattern, a chronic emotional pattern. So that I, I find that to be extremely interesting. Yeah. One of our chat participants here mentioned that uh, one of the uh, inhibiting factors to rolfing can be simply finding someone as well as the cost. Now, I've never had rolfing done. Can you guys speak to... Like, how hard was it to find a rolfer? And if you don't mind saying, you know, like, maybe not the exact number, but what was the cost? Was it really expensive or was it affordable? Well, when I, I found think a rolfer, um, I just moved to the area. And so I just looked on the Internet and uh, found rolfers in the area and then, like, looked up what school that it, they may have come from and – uh our rolfer that we used, he wasn't very expensive. I think he had a special, like the first session was $60, and then after that it was 90 which from what I hear wow. is a pretty good rate. Yeah, that's true. For cheap. an hour and a half. Yeah. 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 yeah, that seems reasonable. Yeah, no, my uh, sessions were more like 130 bucks for, for per session, so it wasn't cheap. And finding a rolfer... Yeah. You know, I was in a, a I'm in a, a fairly big city, so um, I had uh, definitely a few choices. But um, it's not nearly as popular as something like massage or even like shiatsu or something along those lines. So it can be a bit of a challenge to find somebody. But uh, but uh, yeah, I think internet searching and asking around is is kind of the best way to do it. In Europe, um, if I remember correctly, my sessions were like 40 euros per session. And, uh, yes, I just looked up, you know, locally for a rover, and there was only, like, one for the whole country, and it happened to mm. work at the same city I was living. Oh. He was German, and he got his experience in the United States, and I said, okay, it was meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> he, explained, he explained to me that pretty much, you know, everybody from the a rolfing school should have pretty much the same formation and should charge pretty much the same. Um, I had experience with two rolfers. Um, with the first one, who's really my friend, you know, uh, she did a couple of sessions and then I went away from that country and I had to find another one. I think they were both uh, pretty good. They both had different styles. But, you know, I think they did a pretty good job. It was just different, but, you know, good. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. There are alternatives, too. I mean, you don't necessarily have to go with, with rolfing. Like, that's one particular modality. But it all kind of falls under the this kind of heading of myofascial release. So I know there's people out there called myofascial release therapists, and uh, there are a few other ones, even, even a lot of... Uh, massage therapists are kind of getting more into this idea of fascia and learning techniques and things. So um, if you can't find somebody who's specifically a rolfer, um, I don't think that should necessarily inhibit you from exploring it. Um, I think there are other types, you know, you do your research obviously and look, look into these things, but, uh, but I think there are other alternatives. And I think it should be mentioned, too, that a lot of people have, like, body issues or maybe there was some abuse in their background or something, and that might uh, inhibit them from seeking out body work. But um, Mm. I think that massage or any kind of myofacial release or 
anything like that is probably one of the few instances where people are touched in a therapeutic way and not in a sexual way. And a mm. lot of people are missing that. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very, once you get over the initial shock of standing there in your undies while your golfer <laughs> looks you up and down to, to kind of, you know, evaluate your posture and your structure. I mean, after the first couple of times, it's really no big deal, you know, and I wouldn't mm. even wait until he left the room before I threw my clothes off and jumped on the table. <laughs> but yeah, I think that should be brought up. <laughs> Well, and I also think in any sort of body work, I, I've never personally had rolfing, but I have had what's called lomi lomi massage, and it's basically it means loving hands in Hawaiian, and it's, it's a similar type of deep fascial work. But um, and I have had it for several years, and one of the things that the practitioner said is is the importance of breathing during during the process. So when mm. you know you're they're working on areas of tension and tightness whether it's in your shoulders or your sciatic, your low back, that the importance of not holding your breath, you know, like that mm. seems to be a a really big issue with a lot of people and I've seen it a lot in teaching yoga. Um when you have pain stored in the body it's almost like a human reaction when you start to feel sensations in that area to hold your breath, like it's going to stop mm -hmm. the pain. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, with the EE practice, the pipe breathing, I noticed that as soon as I would get on the table, I would start practicing breathing. And when the therapist would get into those really tight areas, for me, it was the neck and shoulders, you know, this idea mm -hmm. of carrying the world around on your shoulders. I would start really breathing. So she'd go, okay, I'm going to push here and, you know, big inhale. And on the exhale, just let all that go. And it, she did say several times for both myself and my husband that it was such a joy to work on us because we were working with her in addition mm. to her working on us. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, she said, you can't believe the tightness and the tension that people carry in their body. And as the therapist you know, it may be an hour of just, like, working on steel, right? Like, really trying yeah. to work through that. And then you have people that they can, if they can t get into the breathing exercises, they can really start to soften up, and it actually makes the massage therapist's job easier in the sense because you're working together in tandem, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. For me, yeah. the biggest, the highest tension part, you know, when I was, when I got rolled, was my temporal mandibular joint, you know. Um, mm. It had so much tension that I managed to dislocate it, you know, at least partially. Huh. And, yeah. uh, and this is what rollers do. They release all the tension in that joint. And I remember the day he was putting gloves on. I said, okay, what are we going to do? <laughs> A little mouth massage. <laughs> yeah. And I couldn't believe, you know, it was after that session, it was like the first time I could feel my face when I was walking, you know, my cheeks going up and down. It was like, wow, I feel <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I had a, I had a friend who had a similar thing done with the mandibular joints, and it was with a chiropractor, and he put the 
you know, rubber gloves on and actually went into his mouth and was manipulating the joint and apparently yeah. had uh, quite a significant effect. Yeah, well, I was talking to a friend of mine who, uh, you know, we were talking about rolfing, and she was saying that uh, she had a friend, and she said that after the session on the face, where, again, you do kind of, you get the, they put on the rubber gloves, they go into your mouth, they're like working in all these different areas. Um, she said that this person, she knew her entire facial structure seemed to have changed. Like she actually looked like a different person coming out of there. It's pretty amazing. Um, well. And even though it can be painful sometimes, it's extremely, extremely relaxing. I know Peter Levine talks a lot about how uh, fear causes immobility, but mm. immobility without fear can be extremely blissful. And there are times <laughs> when I was on the table and I was just like a limp rag and I could have laid there all day. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Erica, you had mentioned. It also makes you trapped water in your fascia, I guess. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Uh, I I was going to say that, um, Erica, since you had mentioned uh, yoga and the fact that you taught, um, would you mind just talking for a few minutes about your experience with that? Like, I know that. When we were prepping for this show, we came across a couple articles where people were down-talking yoga, and I think um, while it's been quite, uh, you know, commercialized and has also gotten really popular, there's still a lot of people think that you have to be like a contortionist to do yoga, and I wonder if you could speak to that for a minute and um, maybe just talk about the benefits to, you know, your average joke that... um, I've done it a few times myself, never on a regular basis, but it was always really beneficial for me. Yeah, and it definitely, you're right. It's funny, there's a few um, interesting articles on signs, and, and one of them is, is called The Dark Side of Yoga, mm-hmm. and or Yoga's Dark Side, and it was carried in the Huffington Post, and um, it was talking about, you know, this kind of clicky you know, narcissistic aspect to it. And we've talked about this on a previous show when we talked about exercise and um, going into it. I never had any intention of being a yoga teacher. Um, I was trained in EE and I was basically looking for uh, studios to teach the Aerolis Breathing Stress Reduction Program. And it was kind of like getting a yoga certification would get me in the door, so to speak. And so... Um, I will say I was really pleasantly surprised by the whole experience. Um, To get a certification, you have to do, you know, over 200 hours of practice in addition to reading up about the body and uh, fascia and structure and anatomy and physiology. And um, what I found was that the powerhouse kind of, power yoga or exercise yoga is really not for your average lay person and I really don't recommend it at all unless you know you have some sort of gymnastics background (laughs) but um, I I really recommend this idea that I started this the article with the fascia article this idea of stretching with breathing and really, it's like a self-massage. And I used to teach this in class, and, and I moved away from teaching power yoga and more into what we call gentle flow or restorative. 
And basically, it's really just getting people to start breathing first, land in their body, and then very slowly starting to open up those areas of tension. And so just something like a forward bend that everybody can do at home. You know, um, finding your breath will help you unwind and loosen tension and not resisting against your body, but going with where you're at at that moment. So every day is different. Some days the body hurts more than others. Other days you're more flexible. And really coming to where you're at at that moment, and I mentioned this in a previous show, but Iyengar, who brought Hatha Yoga to the West, called it a moving meditation. So even if you just do, you know, five forward bends in a day, just really um, getting in touch with your body, noticing where you're holding tension and addressing that in the moment. So basic things that you can do, even Jonathan, like sitting at a desk or standing at the desk is rolling the head and noticing where all that tension and tightness is in your neck and breathing. And as you roll the head, you start to feel more mobility in the neck I always used to tease that people wear their shoulders as earrings. So when a student would walk in the door, almost instantly I could tell where the tension was in their body, and usually it was in the shoulders. So sometimes I would spend the entire class just reminding people, relax your shoulders, relax your shoulders, relax your jaw. Because as Gabby said, so many people have this tension in their jaw, and you can see them clenching their teeth. And then... When you try and do a more challenging posture, the first thing the body does is going to tighten up, right? I've never done this before. So I would constantly remind people it's a fluid motion. Don't overdo it. And then when you get into like a warrior one, which is just, you know, where you you got your knee bent and your leg extended in the back, to soften everything up and then start breathing. And it really shifts the whole practice. So it doesn't become this competition. You know, I hated studios that had mirrors in the room because everyone's looking at themselves. Mm. So I would always, if I was <laughs> teaching in a studio where there was a mirror, I would make everyone turn their back to the mirror because, you know, that's even more pressure. Mm. And um, some teachers have people close their eyes. There's mixed um philosophies on that but I think if you're seated and you're just again forward bending or twisting the eyes closed really gives you an opportunity to go within and feel where this is happening and I can say from my own experience I uh, like I said I hadn't done rolfing I'd had some lomi lomi massage but um, the practice and doing the training literally changed my body it changed mm. my stress levels I, I find now that when i'm feeling tense or stress if i can just get to my mat and even lay there just in what they call corpse pose or shavasana and start breathing i can like do a little body scan of, of where i'm holding tension and then it's almost like my body says okay move this way you know really you know roll your head to one side breathe in that area and so it becomes a very personal practice and so I hope that answers your question Jonathan I think that 
I say all the time, 10 minutes is better than nothing. You know, people are like, well, I, I can't afford to go to classes because it is expensive. It's, you know, 16 to $25 to take a yoga class. There is so much videos on YouTube. There's books. Just start somewhere and start queuing into what the body is saying, you know. And for those of us who sit at a computer a lot or drive a lot, the low body, the hips, the sciatic, all that stuff, you know, just laying flat on your back and um, or with a pillow under your knees is really you're going to start to tune in to how you can work through that, just bending the knee, rolling the hip around. There's just, it's really um, life-changing, I can say, for myself and for a lot of my students. Mm-hmm. I've had quite a few men that were like, oh, I'll never do it. It's for girls. It's for chicks. It's not a guy thing. You know, but um, <laughs> it really, like, if you can afford a massage, um, you can do self-massaging, you know, and, and um, again, just addressing those areas of tension. That's fascinating. Totally. Um, I thought it was really interesting how you said that people come into the yoga class and um and you can see the tension in their shoulders um because in my own experience um when i actually take the time to observe my bodily posture um it's really quite shocking how often there is tension in my shoulders or in my jaw especially my shoulders and it's um i have to find myself many times in the day just reminding myself to let go you know, just to mm-hmm. um, to to relax, but but it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's yeah, it's 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 interesting to see how often like the body morphs into these highly tense um, positions, and and how often that that actually happens. Yeah. Well, and it's like they talked about in the fascia article. You know, years and years of that becomes a laid foundation. So it's almost mm-hmm. like a protective coating. And, you know, maybe when you're at home, your shoulders can be more relaxed, your jaw can be more relaxed, and you go out in the world and, you know, you have to commute or deal with the, the bank or whatever it is your daily. And you almost start to notice the shoulders rising towards the ears. You start to notice the clenching of the jaw. For me, mm-hmm. the jaw was a huge issue And a little kind of self-reminder for myself is I stick my tongue between my teeth. Sometimes when I start to feel myself clenching as a reminder, because if you bite your tongue, oh, okay, I'm clenching, you know. Mm -hmm. And and that that self-reminder of soften your jaw, soften your jaw, you know. Um, Smile. It takes more muscles in the face to frown than it does to smile. So if you can have those little reminders... And I also notice when people are getting on my nerves because my jaw starts to tense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But having that dialogue, you know. Yeah. For sure. I definitely notice that with myself. Um, say if I'm at the computer and I'm working on a deadline, uh, it, it, every once in a while I'll have this moment of awareness where I realize my shoulders are in full, like, 100% tension. I'm clenching my teeth, you know, I'm not moving, I'm I'm just typing, but I'm like, the shoulders are up by the ears, 
and I'm in a really stressed position. Um, and it's like, it's every time it's like this moment of clarity, like, Oh, I need to stop doing that. It's really bad. And of course, if I end up doing that for a long time, you know, say for a period of one or two hours, um, then it's really noticeable Then I'm tight and sore, uh, and it mm-hmm. takes some time to kind of work it out. Hmm. Well, we've mentioned it in previous shows too, that idea of pain in the neck, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things that was recommended on um it might have been the the myofascia or the um the fascinating fascia article that we spoke about before um I think it was recommended that every fifteen minutes or so if you can you can just um stretch out your limbs, stretch out your neck, roll your head around and and then you can fall back into the same position. But it it's almost as if it um it gives your fascia because cause as you said that fascia doesn't like to stay static it immobilizes mm-hmm. and that's when it becomes a problem. Whereas if you can you can sort of remind yourself to um to do these these brief exercises it doesn't have to be for very long but just a simple stretch or something then um then I guess it it gives your body um chance to to deal with the posture that you're sitting with if you get me yeah yeah i think one of the, yeah, uh, the sure. benefits of uh of yoga is getting out of those habitual postures that we're always in like if you think about it you know pretty much 24 hours a day there are just only a certain number of postures that we take on regularly um, so by going into something like uh, yoga or, you, you know, you, it could, this could even be other um, modalities as well, just taking on kind of unfamiliar postures, you know, getting your body into a position that it's not in habitually all the time, uh, I think can be really beneficial. Um, there was uh, an interesting article uh, posted on SOT by uh, Amy Lansky um, that was uh, posted in Waking Times. Uh, she's actually a homeopath and has written a really, uh, really a couple of really good books. Um, but she talks about, uh, well, she says here, have, you know, have you ever considered that body posture pertains not only to our bodies, but also to our psyches, our feelings, our thoughts, even our energy bodies? And I thought that was very interesting. You know, it's like you, you think about um, the fact that we tend to have these habitual um, thought processes, you know, our thoughts kind of always go into the same direction and that this might actually be reflected in our body posture. Um, and she quotes uh, G.I. Gurdjieff as well, saying that, uh, you know, talking about the relationship between the posture and the self. Uh, and he said, every race, every nation, every epoch, every country, every class, every profession has its own definite number of postures and movements. A man is unable to change the form of his thinking or his feeling until he has changed his repertory of postures and movements. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And apparently Gurdjieff used to have his students take on these kind of unusual postures and hold them in order to feel the effects on their minds and their feelings. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I just thought that that was pretty fascinating. I thought that yoga would be kind of a good um, way. He, he used to refer to them as gymnastics uh, and different gymnastics movements, but it may be that he actually was getting them from kind of uh, more yoga type traditions. So I, I, I thought that that was really interesting, just kind of use these modalities as a way of getting, almost getting outside of yourself to a certain extent, getting out of your habits, getting out of your um, rigid thinking in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's like that pushing that comfort zone. You know, I always used to tease in class, I don't expect you to tie yourself into a pretzel. You know, I mean, that's unrealistic. But moving in ways that, just as you said, Doug, are different and then finding that shape and holding it there and then breathing. I mean, I've had profound emotional releases just doing something like a twist where, you know, you're – you're letting go of things and all of a sudden I wouldn't say I broke down crying in the posture, but definitely like almost like what happens in massage um, where you feel like electricity move through your body or all of a sudden um, that area of tension just goes away. Or, you know, mm. I, I, when I was um, doing my training, I I would have these weird pockets of, pain in very strange spots like in my middle back or in my big toe and they would move as I continued to do my practice those pockets of I don't know energy would move to different parts of the body and then they would disappear you know so I I definitely think there is something to it again I think it's important to come to where people are at and not expect you know to do these crazy things just uh, the experience and and it's a lifetime practice it's like the diet or you know anything else it's it's every day you come to it or twice a week and you just come to where you are and then you just practice that's all you do yeah that, I know that's a um, difficult thing for me uh, you know it's not not difficult in the sense that many other things are but it's just uh, for whatever reason it's it's hard to remember to do that on a regular basis. So it helps to, you know, set up some kind of reminder, like tape up a note for yourself, like 10 minutes today, or have like a designated space, you know, like in the corner of your bedroom or maybe in the corner of the living room where you have a mat on the floor. And um, it's, I think, important to have uh, reminders, you know, around to do that. Uh, Otherwise, in my own experience, I'll go for many weeks without even thinking about it. Yeah. And having uh, friends or family there to kind of remind you as well. Um, Mm -hmm. I know I taught my husband yoga, and for several years he was very resistant. And then Mm -hmm. a friend of his came to me and was like, oh, I'm having this back pain, and I just gave him a few little exercises to do on his back um, to help with with hip issues. And, And my husband was like, oh, oh, I think I'll try that now. And now I've got him on a regular routine just as maintenance more than anything, you know, because as you get older, you have those postures that are stuck in your body. And like I said, um, you start to see people carrying that in certain places, whether it's usually the shoulders, but also the hip, you can see in the hips where people tend to carry those pockets of tension. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about massage uh, too. It's, Something that strikes me is kind of funny that, uh, and this is again just from my own experience. But um, you know, when you get a massage, whether like say your your partner just gives you a massage and you're like, oh my god, you know, this <laughs> it's amazing, um, and it, it's seen as kind of a luxury in a way. Uh, <clears throat> I know for myself, sometimes I'll think like, oh, I should go get a massage somewhere because we have a few places around here that do them uh, professionally, but it always comes up as kind of a luxury item. Um, Mm -hmm. when I don't, in reality, I don't think it should be, you know, this is just another, uh, basic kind of life, 
uh, treatment, something that we should be getting, um, you know, to maintain looseness, uh, to maintain our uh, our relaxation. I don't know, do, do you guys have any experience with getting regular massages um, or anything like that? Um. Well, recently, um, in September, <laughs> my uh, my girlfriend actually started a um, she started a massage massage course and bodywork. So she's basically training to be a massage therapist. But she um, she also she started learning uh, something called myofascial release, which also works with the fascia, the connective tissue, and. Um, yeah, I can't say that I've ever had a proper massage up until um up until she started that course. But um <laughs> but now it's kind of like because uh, she she has to find um a number of different clients to sort of um to get her experience, to get her hours up so she can pass the course. And I'm always there, so um <laughs> so yeah, like you. Basically, <laughs> I, I, I get a uh, on a regular basis, and I can say that um, I think I underestimated the sheer effects that um, that a massage can actually have. Mm. Like, um, like I wasn't aware of how tense my body was until she actually told me about it. And um, and sometimes, I mean, after the after the massage, I just feel like I'm melting into into the bed. And mm. I don't even want to move. It's um, it's really amazing. Like I haven't. Um, I know I know that there are some occurrences. I mean, she's warned me about this in the past. She says um, sometimes when when someone has body work done on them, it can um, it can release um, a lot of undealt with emotional issues or emotional trauma that has been buried so far down. Um, but I, I mean, I personally haven't experienced anything like that. All I can say is just that it feels really amazing. It's great mm-hmm. relaxation, and um, and to finish that off with something like um, EE is um, yeah, it's, it's it's a whole other world for me, you know. Um, but it, it's really it's really really great. Yeah, one well, one interesting thing. I've I've had a bit of experience with uh with massage, not quite as much as I should, um because I know it is very important and shouldn't be considered a luxury item. Actually, one just little point on that. I think people should look into if they've got benefits at work. Um a lot of times that will include some uh amount for massage, or at least I know in North America that's the case. Um so a lot of people uh, just try Try looking into if they have massage schools in your area. That way you can get massages at a discounted price. Because a lot of people don't think much about spending money on a gym membership, but they don't consider a massage either. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, there's lots of, like, community places. You know, there's community yoga classes as well, things you can look into where, you know, it's at a discounted rate or even sometimes it's free. So, yeah, I think it's it's definitely a way that you can kind of get access to these things. But just to talk about uh, a little bit about the whole emotional release thing, um, I think in a lot of cases uh, people don't necessarily notice, like they're not sitting there on the table having a massage done and suddenly they have this overwhelming emotion. It sometimes comes out in very different ways. Um, I think that in a lot of, a lot of cases, and I've, I've found this with myself, it's not necessarily that I'll, I'll feel this this intense emotional release or something, but it's kind of like suddenly things start to come up in my life 
um, that weren't coming up before or patterns that maybe I had kind of just buried instead of actually kind of dealing with them will suddenly come to the fore. And I think that, you know, a lot of times you have this body work done and what it's doing is changing the way in which you relate to your life. Um, and, you know, you have this emotional release that you might not notice, but it's more like um, it's reflected in your experiencing in, in your daily life. I don't know if it's getting maybe a little bit too woo-woo here, but I noticed when I was going through rolfing, you know, experiences would come up that I hadn't dealt with before. And it was kind of like if I thought about it, I'm kind of like, well, this is kind of similar to this thing that happened in my past. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of times people are looking for this this kind of charge, this kind of like um, major emotional release that they're having. But I think that, that these things can come up in very, very subtle ways. Mm. Yeah, I don't think that that's <clears throat> woo-woo at all. I mean, uh, you know, we're all, I think, at least here and a lot of our listeners are aware that, you know, everything is connected. And certainly our um, our bodies are one, uh, if not the major uh, interface that we have with uh, with reality, you know, and so um, there are vehicle, uh, there are tool, all of these kind of things, and so it's it's important um, to realize those connections between the state of the mind and the state of the body, and that it's not it's not one way, either way, it's both ways, you know, and that if your if your mind and your emotions are out of whack, your body will reflect it, and vice versa. If your body is out of whack, then uh, your emotional state will also reflect that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I also know, too, and um, for those listeners who may be interested, when you get a massage, it releases um, the lymph nodes. So there was an mm. article on SOT called The Lymphatic System, The Secret to Staying Healthy. And they basically talk about how um, there's three times more lymph in your body than um, blood. And... Mm. Um, how when you get uh, like a deep tissue massage or even practicing yoga, you release toxins from your lymph nodes. And so I know in uh, having the Lomi Lomi massage, um, I've had lymphatic drain, like where they, they work on certain lymph nodes, like under your armpits. And if you've ever had a massage and they've worked in that area, it's very sensitive. Um mm. But that uh, I was always told afterwards to drink plenty of water because mm -hmm. uh, you're you're starting to really emphasize the detoxification pathways in the body, and they basically call the the lymph the lymphatic system like the sewer system of the body. So you know um, when you get that work done, and you may notice this, Elliot, too, as you get more massages that you start sweating or. Um, you feel almost nauseous. I've had nauseous sensations after a pretty intensive massage experience because all those detox, all those toxins are coming out into your bloodstream. You're flushing your lymphatic system. And, um, you know, you may feel like you got hit by a bus the rest of the day, you know. So mm -hmm. I think that's an important <laughs> aspect to uh, – to getting a massage too is that lymphatic drain working on the, that lymphatic system and, and getting healthy blood flow into those lymph nodes. Mm. Well, that's I mean that's really interesting. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go on. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just going to say it's interesting because the uh, the lymphatic system it doesn't have um, a, a pump per se. Uh, it relies. Uh, 
purely on on your muscles and your bodily movement to um to push it around your body and so um so it's very easy for the lymph to get almost stuck and um and so yeah i mean i can imagine how if if you have if you have a lymphatic drainage massage then that's essentially uh, increasing the flow of everything isn't it and allowing you to detox it and I was just going to say that it is, there, it is important to keep in mind because people who have a lot of toxicity, which is pretty much everybody, and mm-hmm. we're seeking a very relaxed massaging experience and will have a, you know, a detox reaction after a massage therapy. So that's important to keep in mind that you, know, mm-hmm. you can have some <laughs> side effects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of the, uh, when we were talking about the mind-body connection there, um, Doug, would you mind sharing with us some points from that article that we had talked about before the show? It was uh, if tears could talk. Mm. Yeah, no, it was an interesting article. I don't think we have it up on SOT. It was posted to the forum by one of our forum members. Um, And uh, it it basically is talking about the, the, the physical structure of fascia. And, uh, and what's actually going on there, what's being discovered about fascia. Um, so basically, it, it, what, I'll just kind of give a rundown of it here. The idea is that the fascia isn't just this kind of like connective, this static connective tissue. It's much more fluid than that. And it allows for a fluid to kind of um, travel through it um, in order to, they call the, this stuff this kind of viscous gel called ground substance. And that this um, stuff that surrounds all the cells and the fascia is kind of the way that this can kind of travel through the body um, to the cells, and that there's this kind of structure, um, uh, like a network of microtubules in the, the cells that are, are specifically for kind of um, transporting this, this stuff, um, this, this ground substance. And that, uh, you know, they actually equate it, it, it to, um, to actually like, you know, this is, this is a means by which information can be kind of uh, traveled throughout the body from cell to cell. Um, and that, you know they're they're equating this uh, this information with actual consciousness, that you know the body is sort of like this whole conscious unit um, that that's unified. It's not these you know separate segments, and that there's this whole this whole network of of communication going on here throughout the body. So they're talking about how um, when uh, you know fascia gets in these kind of stuck states through you know habitual uh, posture or. Um, through, you know, trauma, emotional trauma, and, you know, the, the fascia will, will tighten up and that that uh, fluid no longer flows through it properly. Um, so I know it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, when, when you talk about things like people holding emotions or traumatic experiences in the body, it kind of sounds a little bit woo-woo, right? You're kind of like, ah, that, that, that doesn't sound quite right. That's, that's like, you know, it, it, it's a little bit out there. But here they've, they've actually shown uh, that there is a... Um, a real kind of biological, um, you know, thing behind this, that, you, that, that this is actually a real thing. And that when you have these kind of uh, traumatic experiences and that can um, reflect in some kind of tension in the, in the fascia, that that communication is no longer going there. So it's kind of almost a way of the body kind of segregating that traumatic experience so that it doesn't inhibit you in some way. Of course, it does inhibit you in other ways because suddenly you're not um, moving as well as you should be. Um, you have these kind of uh, these tensions that uh, that become chronic, and uh, you know, releasing those things with proper body work obviously is a is a good idea just to get 
your body functioning in a proper way. So, yeah, it was a really fascinating article. It's called, yeah, as Jonathan was saying, it's called If Your Tears Could Talk, What they what Would They Say? Um, and I'm uh, not seeing the author's name here. Um, but anyway, I, I think if you if you kind of Google that title, you'll find the uh, the article. It's just a short article, but very interesting. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating topic, and kind of like we've been talking about, you know, the, this show, and we've talked about in the past too that the body reflects the emotional state. Um, that it's just something that we don't really think about very often, uh, and I think especially. I mean, I hate to say it, but you almost have to be a little bit esoterically minded to mm. kind of think of this on a re- on a regular basis. I think you know, like uh, you know, your average Joe who kind of goes to work, does work, comes home, has dinner, watch some TV, go to bed. You know, this kind of regular cycle of life, uh, or you know, modern life, I suppose. Um, there's not a lot of awareness of that connection. Uh, and becoming aware of that connection can really have huge benefits. It can also be kind of uh, frightening, too, because, you know, you realize mm. you have a whole new feedback system that you weren't even thinking about. Mm-hmm. Well, I always like well, to liken to- it to a car, A car, you know. You you need to get around in this world, and uh, you do you want to drive something that the tire's falling off and the windshield is cracked? (laughs) You know, it's a, it's a, a, your body is a means of mobility. And so um, having options to keep it in functional running motion so you can continue throughout your day and do your job, you know, um, the idea of massage and as you all were saying like things like yoga or stretching or tai chi or whatever it is is becoming more popular i mean a few years ago the us military was given you know almost a million dollars to start studying alternative uh modalities to treat soldiers with post traumatic stress disorder so you know if the military is looking at it that it, it's mm. you know it's <laughs> It's it's it, there's something to be said about it, you know. And in ancient Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and stuff, you know, they've known these things for years, and and that's why it's part of their medical repertoire, if you will, to have all these different things to keep that vehicle in working order so you can function in daily life. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting the way the body kind of does these sort of workarounds too. You know, it's kind of like you, you know, just for example, if you have some sort of traumatic, traumatic experience and your fascia kind of tightens up in one place and that kind of becomes habitual, then your body kind of has to work around that. And you might be doing something that's not um, ideal in the way that you're, you're moving or, or holding yourself in your posture because your body suddenly has to work around that, that tension, that area. And I found it really interesting kind of relating that back to what Gurdjieff was talking about, how every, you know, epic, every era, every um, uh, class, every uh, country has these habitual postures. It's almost like this is reflective of, you know, things that people are collectively avoiding or um, collectively having to deal with in their current current society. So I, I found, you know, just connecting all those kinds of dots, is it, it's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it was good. Yeah, for sure. That work starts with the body. You know, you cannot have you know, um, be free if you have some kind of tension in your body or something along those lines. Mm. Yeah. This may be a little bit uh, speculative. Well, it is speculative, but Doug, what you said kind of made me think that that reflects our our modern society. The fact that we're a lot of us, not, of course, not everybody, of course, but a lot of us are uh, sitting in chairs, hunched over, whether we're hunched over a computer or we're you know hunched over a video game console. Um, that uh, that that causes a lot of neck and shoulder pain and that neck being the connection between, you know, the brain and the rest of the body, that that might mm. be kind of um, emblematic of our modern society and the fact that our, our brains are becoming kind of disconnected from our bodies, that we're not holding that connection. We're kind of taking it for granted. And so then we, we get a lot of resulting pain in that area. Mm. Yeah. But on top of that, I mean, when you're looking down at, uh, say when you look down at your phone screen, um, it says here that when your head is tilted down at 60 degree angle, it puts 60 pounds of weight on the neck and shoulders. Mm. So um, just just that alone, I mean, that alone is enough to, to be causing a lot of the, the troubles that we have, you know. Yeah, what do yeah, they call sure. that? Text mech? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a relatively new phenomenon as well. It's like relatively recent. Yeah. And and to see, I mean, children from such a young age now um, all pretty much have mobile phones. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next 10, 20, 30 years um, in terms of, you know, the problems that we're going to be having as a society. And, and, and our posture and um, things like osteoarthritis and, I guess, um, all these different types of issues. Well, we really We're going to have like a, a society. The other day, you know, it was like the last two months or the last month that, you know, teenagers having like these posters just from doing text messages or using their smartphones so much, you know, it's just mm. shock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we're just gonna have a society of brain dead hunchbacks. <laughs> there was an article on that um, called "Lost Posture: Why Some Indigenous Cultures May Not Have Back Pain." And there was a a lady; she had injured her back, and she had one back surgery, and then she re-injured it again, and they wanted to do surgery again. She was like, "No, no." So she went all around the world and studied all these different cultures and these indigenous cultures mostly, a lot of them didn't have any kind of back pain, even up into old age, even if they spent like a lot of time doing a lot of physical work or like bent over in the fields all day, they still didn't have any back pain. Uh, She said that uh, the real structure of the spine should be more like a J shape instead of an S shape. And when you're standing, you're, you're, should kind of be like kind of pushed out a little bit mm-hmm. like a lot of indigenous people you know that's what their form looks like if you look at them from the side and that can um, probably account for why they don't have a lot of back pain but she also said like uh, western cultures you know the people are a lot heavier and that can contribute to it and also you know western sad diets and things like that but you know mm-hmm. life without back pain is possible 
Yeah. Yeah, she was saying that it should be more of a J a J shape rather than an S shape. Like that in, in the Western cultures we tend to have an S shape to our spine, like a kind of where the, the, the neck and shoulders are, it kind of like curves over and that you know these indigenous cultures don't have that they're very upright and it doesn't uh, you know the spine doesn't stick out until it gets down to the buttocks um yeah and her her name was esther uh gawkale i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right gawkale gawkale um but there's actually a method you can look up called the oh gawkale okay so the yeah there's there's actually like she has a sorry go ahead sorry it's it's gawkale Go clay. It's, oh, kind of, it's not. It's not an intuitive pronunciation, but yeah, it's pronounced go clay. Go clay. Okay. And there is something called the go clay method that you can kind of look up and and look into. I know she's done a lot of uh, of work on that and helping people. Yeah, she mentioned how a lot of these indigenous cultures, when they walk, they kind of squeeze their gluteal muscles, and that strengthens it and gives support to the back. So that could be another reason mm-hmm. why they don't have a lot of back pain. Yeah, and also to um, to uh, try and keep your abdominal muscles taut, if you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. try hold your chest up high rather than slouching. I guess it all comes back to your posture. Um, but it's it. I think it was uh, yeah to tighten your gluteal muscles, like on your backside, and also to um, to almost pull your abdominal abdominal muscles up towards your chest, something like that. Hmm. This this reminds me too of something I heard once, and I I wish I could remember where I heard this, but it was that um, people who have poor posture and mostly like computer users, gamers, uh, heavy phone users, that kind of thing, from being hunched over, will walk uh, as they walk. Their palms are facing backwards, uh, almost kind of like an ape, which kind of gives like a, a weird allusion to the term knuckle draggers. Um, that when you have correct posture, your palms should face inward towards your hips while you're walking, and that you can notice while you're walking if your arms rotate and your palms are facing backwards, then you have more, you know, excessive rotation in your upper spine and in your shoulders, and it needs to be corrected so that your arms kind of rotate back with the palms facing inwards. And it's actually kind of hard to do. I've, I've tried to do it on occasion while I'm walking, and I notice... I'll try to keep my palms facing to the inside, and it's um, it, it doesn't feel natural, but I think that's only because I've, you know, negatively trained my body in the other direction. Hmm. Yeah, it's a kind of another so, example of uh, the body uh, kind of compensating for uh, for for some kind of uh, t- tension in the fascia, maybe in the upper back or something like that. Yeah. Well, I think this might be a well, good time. Yoga, uh, yoga. Oh, go ahead, Erica. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say in yoga, too, one of the first things that they taught us was to get rid of your chairs. Just <laughs> 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 sit, sit on the floor, you know, <laughs> so you're, you're – um, and even it, a lot of times if you have problems sitting on the floor because a lot of people have problems with their knees to have a pillow or two and then use a wall to sit to lean against – to practice good posture. So a lot of times you notice if you sit on the floor cross-legged, you tend to hunch forward. I used to call that the teenage posture because you see a lot of teenagers doing that. But to practice sitting on the floor with a pillow or even several pillows and then rolling the shoulders back several times so you can almost feel the 
the uh, shoulder blades on the wall, or you can even use a pillow on the wall. But just doing um, exercises like that will strengthen, like Elliot was saying, your core muscle, your belly muscles, and it will also remind you to roll the shoulders down and back instead of hunching and rolling forward, if that makes sense. It's just a nice little something you can do. Even in a chair, you can do it, but on the floor, it's, it's a little grounding exercise as well. I don't know about you guys, but I keep on adjusting my posture as I'm sitting here and <laughs> correcting things. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, right. Good reminders. For sure. Well, I, so, I called um, myself the shoulder police in yoga. I'm going to come around and police you on your shoulders. <laughs> soften your shoulders, soften your jaw, roll back, relax, relax. <laughs> I need a shoulder police uh, uh, coach maybe in my life, constantly kind of telling me, roll your shoulders back. Yeah. <laughs> but I think this might be a good time to play the, uh, we, we have a clip from uh, Peter Levine, um, hmm. how the body releases trauma and restores goodness. Uh, and this is a, a seven-minute uh, clip from a, a DVD seminar that Peter Levine did. And he is a uh, somatic therapist, uh, so his specialty is the uh, physiological origins of trauma um, and how to uh, how to correct those kind of things. So let's listen to this uh, for a little bit, and then we can uh, we can kind of talk about the work of Peter Levine. Uh, so we will be right back after this. The way I discovered basically my my epiphany in developing somatic experiencing was in um, 1969. I was asked to see a woman who had been referred from doctor to doctor to doctor, and eventually, uh, with a penoply of different symptoms, they would be in, they would she had migraines, she had what we would call now fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, irritable bowel. Uh, interstitial cystitis, uh, difficulty urinating, and, I mean, name and she had it. Again, there weren't names for those at that at that time, and so she had, you know, gone from specialist to specialist and had invasive procedures, and you know, so finally she was referred to my friend, my colleague, the psychiatrist. And at that time, I think there was one, Milltown was the tranquilizer, and there was one anti-tricyclic. And he tried those with her, and it made a little bit of difference, but the symptoms were still. And I was uh, developing a mind-body, body-mind uh, practice around that time. I was experimenting with different kinds of, uh, uh, different kinds of relaxation through the body through body awareness and body movement and so forth. So he, um, he thought that maybe some of the relax... And she also had uh, panic attacks, severe panic attacks, and agoraphobia, and she was too frightened to even leave the house. Uh, and so and she came in with her husband, was you know, tremendously, you could see, tremendously uncomfortable. He was uncomfortable, and she was, of course, terrified. Her heartbeat was about 110, 110 beats a minute, just boom, 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 boom. So I got her to relax her neck, and her heart rate went down. And I was thinking, oh, wow, that's terrific. I mean, right? 
I, this, I, now I've got my career. <laughs> I know, really, because at that time, I was, otherwise I was going to be a research scientist. So the heart rate went down, and then it shot up and went w w even higher. It just like went, went like... And what do you think the stupidest thing that anybody could say at a time like that? I mean, uh, calm down, just relax, Nancy, just relax. Okay. Ridiculously, coincidentally, her heart started going down. And I thought, oh, okay, I have my career back again. But it went down and down and down to about 50, less than 50, yeah, 50 beats a minute. And she turned white. And she strangulated her voice and she said, uh, I'm dying, I'm dying, doctor, I'm dying, don't let me die. And at that, yeah, exactly. And as I tell the story also, I'm getting that funny feeling in my chest, a little constriction. I mean, really, I mean, that happened like, you know, 16, but I don't get stuck with it. And at that moment, I had a vision, uh, a waking vision, a waking dream of a tiger getting ready to, to leap. And I said, Nancy, Nancy, there's a tiger. Run, escape. What Run, climb those rocks and escape. And to both of our amazements, her body, her legs started moving as though she were running. And uh, she would have these waves of, of, of trembling and shaking, spontaneous breaths. Her hands would be turned icy cold and then warm. And this went on for 40 minutes. But the, the, these cycles, and the, they started to be, become softer and softer. And then at the end, she opened her eyes and she said, do you want to know what happened? So I think, well, of course I, I know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> this is my method here. And uh, I said, yes. And she said, um, when you said there was a tiger, I imagined myself running. I could feel myself running. I could feel, this is important, and that's important with the child. He's running, but he's not feeling the running. I said, I could feel the running. I could feel my leg shaking and trembling. I could feel my breath. And when I was looking down from the rocks, <coughs> I saw myself when I was four years old and I had a tonsillectomy and at that time they used ether and they, they, I was, they held me down and of course for decades, for 20 years her body was primed and wanting to run wanting to escape and when she was able to do that completion that was the last panic attack that she had and we did few more sessions afterwards and most of her symptoms um, if they didn't resolve they tremendously abated and I would imagine would continue so now again these I wrote I use that example actually in a couple of my books and in, the, in my first book Waking the Tiger I was like a little bit like I thinking uh oh I think I made a mistake because everybody's going to think they do this therapy and then in one session all these symptoms go away. It does happen. It does happen. But again, 
most of the people that you see, it's a much more of a complex thing. They've had, you know, different degrees of neglect. Uh, they also, the people that were supposed to love them and protect them, often were the people who hurt them and violated them. So it has a tremendous amount of confusion built in. But still, this, the, the same, I, in my experience, and in, I think most of my students, is that these same somatic methods work, but you have to do it in a different context, at a different pacing, in a different way. Well, that's pretty fascinating. It, uh, looking into some of the, the work that Peter Levine does, that's kind of his origin story, was that experience that he talks about there. Um, and a lot of the work that he does is uh, with victims of trauma, um, with PTSD, things like that, um, where our body has this automatic response, but it's unconscious. And so we don't uh, understand it. And so then it kind of, I guess to put it simplistically, it takes advantage of us. Uh, and so his work is to reorient the mind with that um, subconscious physical response uh, so that you can understand it more and kind of, uh, I guess, anticipate it coming. I don't know if you guys have a, uh, a different or a better understanding of this work than I do. Well, I guess I've always kind of thought of it as, as um, an, an alternative to doing the kind of uh, the body work um, as a means of kind of releasing these stored traumas. You know, he kind of goes in from a more psychological angle and kind of... Uh, in a way, I mean, he's not necessarily revisiting the, the actual traumatic experience itself, but kind of looking at the, the, the psychological effect and, and kind of having people um, sort of, it, it's like the body's natural response in, in those kinds of panic situations is to, is to move. And if that is suppressed, then it, it, it kind of stores in the body. And in, in they're kind of, you know, in the example he gave, you know, she's been spending, you know, all her life, um, waiting to run from that situation and that that's been suppressed and it leads to all these kind of um, compensation um, techniques that are, are, are dysfunctional in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I kind of see it as a, as, a, as a way of kind of accessing this, this same sort of thing that we've been talking about where these, these traumatic experiences are stored in the tissues and it's kind of a way of, of, of accessing that. Mm-hmm. Well, he talks a lot about like the animal kingdom and how animals in the wild or not so wild, um, they'll have this immobility response in response to like being chased by a predator. They'll just like lay there and play dead. And a lot of predators, they need that, that chase and they need you know the fear and, you know, fighting back and all that in order to, you know, activate their predator response. So if, an animal in the wild just lays there and plays dead. Sometimes the the predator will lose interest and just run away. And then at that time, the animal can you know come out of that immobility response and kind of run away and escape. And he says that um, a lot of like things that happen with humans who are in traumatic experiences, um, they they have this immobility response, even though they might not necessarily like be sitting still. Like this can like play out in their everyday life, but they have this sense that um, that they can't get away, they can't escape, and the fear and the immobility kind of like feeds on each other, and it's very frightened, and 
if that doesn't get resolved, you know, the, the, the cycle just continues and it feeds on each other. So one of his things was to uh, get his clients or his patients to get to know and to befriend their bodily sensations. Um, he mm-hmm. likes to get people to recognize the signs that they're in some kind of immobility response or they're experiencing fear or trauma like stiffness or rapid heartbeat, rapid breathing, uh, feeling like you're freezing or feeling helpless and get people to recognize when those things are coming on and then kind of like breathe through them and get through it. Indeed, and I'm sure that that's uh, really beneficial, you know, for a lot of people like we've been talking about that uh, most people don't have that connection, and I, I don't claim to have a really strong connection there either. Um, you know, we're we're sort of kind of trained away from it. Um, let's see, it looks like we have a, a, a caller, Doug, is that correct? Yeah, we've actually got two on the queue right now, but uh, All right. this one is uh, is is Lynn. Um, from uh, North Carolina, and she had a, a comment or a question. Go ahead, Lynn. I just wanted to say it was it was been really fascinating to listen to what you had to say, and and as an experiencer of a lot of different bodywork modalities, and having been athletic when I was younger, I can really testify to just the physical benefits of rolfing, specifically massage afterward. I've also done some Alexander, uh, tons of yoga. It is brilliant for keeping you healthy, but I really like the way you're tying the two together, the emotional health versus physical health. And the thing that's that's encouraging is kind of like the science alternative worldview thing, there's been this kind of split that I could see is that you would have emotional releases, I remember early on, because I was kind of in, into rolfing early on, um, so you'd be getting body work, there'd be an emotional work, and if you were lucky, you know, the, the the person would say, okay, I've got someone you can see for this emotional thing, because there was this big split of if you're body work, you do body work, if you're a brain work, do brain work, but mm. um, there wasn't so much communication, I think it was kind of a shock all the way around about how you could elicit physical symptoms by working with emotions and you could elicit emotional symptoms by working with the physical and everybody was kind of standing around going, wow, okay. (laughs) But now um, either if you're really lucky, you get somebody who's got training on both sides or Mm. you've got people who formed a network to say, okay, we kicked out this emotion. Here's where you can go. They understand what I'm doing. Then, you know, they'll help you work through the emotion. And there's more of this, this back and forth of dealing uh, with your issue, which is which is a, a totality of an issue. It is maybe an emotional issue, but it is affecting your body. Sometimes you can have a physical issue that is creating emotional issues. Um, but this recognition of this this unity of ourselves as a being is, is really encouraging. And mm-hmm. um, and it, some people do some people do better one way or the other i I had to deal a lot of my issues through the body that was just the easiest fastest way to get to them um mm. and as I said, I was involved early on, so the fact that there were emotional components to my physical issues was a, a huge huge shock 
<laughs> totally took me off guard. But, you know, once I thought about it for a while and made sense and, you know, got, got some, you know, mental health work, uh, it, it, uh, it was a really good thing. And, you know, some people, they need to, you know, they're not on good terms with their body, so to speak. The, uh, through the mind, through the emotions, you get, excuse me, you get openings and opportunities to improve the body's health. It's it's really mm. marvelous. Mm. So, there you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Great show. Love to hear it. You take Great. care. Great. Thanks, Lynn. Thank you. Thank you. That was a great commentary. Yeah, it was. We have uh, 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 Does Nancy have a comment as well? Yeah, this is uh, Nancy. Uh, go ahead, Nancy. Hi. I just want to make a comment about massage and um, just the healing aspects. Um, I had a an accident where I had a tear in my rotator cuff and my shoulder was frozen. Mm. Uh, I opted for the deep tissue massage and um, it totally healed uh, a lot of emotional issues and my shoulder. I had a frozen shoulder, um, very little range of motion. But once, um, once she got to the point where my shoulder kind of, I felt like a pop because there was, I guess, a dry socket, you would call it. Mm-hmm. Um, I that, that was the turning point. I was going every week for two years, but that was the turning point. And uh, once the fluid was able to enter that area, um, I, I was starting to get range of motion back and also using those uh, rubber bands to kind of stretch the muscles and, and keep them stretched. Um, I think that was important because my posture at that time was really bad and uh, it helped to keep that muscle stretched out. Um, but I just want to say how massage can be uh, a very healing modality and uh, I would recommend it to everyone <laughs> and I just want to thank you for your show you're doing a great job and right. uh, that's it thanks thank you great. Nancy bye thanks Nancy thank you. you're welcome bye bye yeah it's great well, to hear all these people having such beneficial experiences with uh, with this sort of thing sorry Jeff go ahead that's a good example of not just emotional trauma, like, you know, childhood issues or anything that can, you know, unresolved issues that can manifest in your tissues, like even car accidents or things like that, operations, you know, the stress surrounding those things can manifest in your tissues too. Um, my yeah, cousin well, was in a, a really, really bad car accident a couple of years ago, uh, and they had to actually cut him out of the car. Um, he ended mm-hmm. up with, you know, uh, some back injuries and some neck injuries. He had to go to therapy. Um, but it was, it could have been a lot, lot worse. You know, he had to wear a neck and a back brace for a while. But um, just speaking of stored trauma and stress and, like, being in shock, we were all in the hospital room with him. 
and his mother lived out of town. She came down, and as soon as he saw her, he just broke down weeping, and his whole body, you could just see him laying on the bed. His whole body was just shaking, just mm-hmm. letting go of that trauma because, you know, for most people, mother is safety. So when mm-hmm. she showed up, that gave him a safe zone to kind of, like, let that stuff out. Wow. Yeah. Makes kind of makes me wonder about, uh, you know, how much of these injuries that you have in these, in these accidents and things like that, how much of it is actually, you know, emotional, you know, how much of it Mm -hmm. is not actually a physical um, issue where there's been some kind of impact on the, on the body itself, but how, how much of that is actually just storing that trauma? Yeah. Yeah. It's like Peter Levine said, you know, when, for example, a person is in a car accident, um, their first reaction could be trembling and a lot of trembling. And mm-hmm. the first um, line of treatment to that is to stop the trembling with drugs. It mm-hmm. explains how that is the worst possible thing you can do because that is like releasing the energy, the shock, the mm-hmm. post-traumatic shock, basically. And uh, and I've seen it all even in the emergency room. Like um, there was this teenager who was in a he was going in his um, in his uh, moto motorcycle and uh, he had an accident. And he told me that oh he was going like 50 kilometers per hour, which is very slow. But he had this huge trembling that it was like it was really impressive. Like I cannot believe mm-hmm. this, you know. He was asking over and over again, why am I trembling? You know, why am I trembling? He was very nervous about it. I just, like, hold his hand and reassured him it's going to be okay. You're just releasing some energy. And uh, and afterwards, um, myself and my colleagues, we didn't believe him. We thought that he was going much, much faster just because of the way he looked and the injuries he had. And yes, he turned out later uh, to have like a rupture in his spleen. So mm-hmm. he was probably going much, much faster. It's just like, you know, just to be, to be able to pay attention to all these little signs of how much a person is uh, affected emotionally, but also trembling. It could give you a very good idea of the shock just one through. You know. yeah, I thought I would share that. I can't help but think that it's a good thing that you were there, Gabby, because uh, if it had been a different uh, practitioner, they might have actually tried to suppress this. Oh my God, it's trembling! Got to we got to suppress that in some way. So the fact that you were knowledgeable yeah, enough to kind of like <laughs> let him work it through. Yeah. There were several of us, and I just started explaining, like just giving, like, okay, let's not, you know, let's not stop this trembling. It's gonna be okay. Everybody get used to it. It's fine. <laughs> Wow. Well, it's like it's like Peter Levine said in his book um, when he talks about the accident that he had when he got I think he was hit by a car, and um, mm-hmm. and he said that the um, the paramedic uh, when he was in the ambulance on the on the way to the hospital, the paramedic was um, was basically trying to um, trying to strap his arms down and feed him with these drugs that essentially would stop that that um, that reaction. And he he um, he said that what he what he told her was that he said that he was a doctor, which wasn't technically a lie because he had a PhD. He just wasn't a med- <laughs> medical doctor. Anyway, he told her that he was a doctor, and he said that he just had this. Um, he said he had this strong urge to lift up. I think it was his left arm or his right arm, 
just to lift it above his head and wave it around. He said that was like the reaction. That was the um, the 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 that was the the reaction that his body um, almost was like telling him that he needed to do. But um, and and he and he said that he told her that um, that he was a doctor, and so she basically unstrapped him, which was not what she was meant to do. And uh, <laughs> and yeah, and so so he 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 essentially went along with his body, and. Um, and he said that he feels that that is one of the things that allowed him to recover um, from the accident so so quickly um, because he had a, a relatively um, smooth recovery. Mm-hmm. But but that if he if he didn't um, go with the um, with the response of his body, then um, then then that could have got stuck and, and turned into you know PTSD or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Taking years to get over with, or to realize what it was. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, it's always kind of been in. I've, I've been in a number of accidents, and it's always been an instinctual response with that uh, shaking to try to stop mm-hmm. it. You know, to try to calm it down right away. Mm-hmm. Well, he says in his book, too, that the body is a map of the mind. And so you can see that when a a traumatic event happens, whether it's being hit by a car or even an emotional traumatic event, that to suppress the shaking or any sort of physical manifestation of the trauma is what he believes why people develop PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. And... um, in one of his videos, he talked about how for 40 years he's done this clinical work and um, creating a map about what goes on inside the brain and the body when people are overwhelmed by trauma or uh, traumatic events. And um, he began his work before there was a definition in the DSM-5 for PTSD and so at the time he didn't know that PTSD was considered an incurable disorder and um, you know mainly it was managed by medication but he got a a different perspective and um, he basically says that trauma is an injury not a disorder and there are ways to heal an injury Um, for him the work with trauma is about seeing what the injury is and finding the solution that helps support the innate healing that all human beings um, exhibit and and have access to and and I think that's why he's written so many excellent books about it and I I really recommend his uh, in an unspoken voice how the mm-hmm. body releases trauma and restores goodness because it, it, there's so many stories like even uh, our caller Nancy shared and other stories of people who had immobility in parts of their body and they didn't even know why. You know, they had an experience. You know, he talked about a firefighter who got a locked up shoulder and and the man didn't even know why his whole life he had been rescuing people and saving people. And it was one specific event where he saw something extremely traumatic and had to reach his arm into a car with uh, a woman who had been in there who had been decapitated and mm. turned the car off. And, you know, this had happened 10 years earlier, and all of a sudden he can't move his shoulder. 
and he, he could not for the life of him figure out what it was that caused that and and through this somatic experiencing after a few sessions it came up that that particular incident even though he had seen so many you know graphic kind of shocking accidents that this thing had stuck in his muscle tissue and not necessarily in his conscious in his conscious mind mm. yeah that case was just absolutely fascinating yeah yeah I would recommend a reading you for sure so I guess what we could say to listeners is that even if you just fall over and bang your knee or something if if um <laughs> if you if you pay attention to your body and do what it wants to do then um then that will probably help you out you know yeah it seems that way yeah for sure and it's so good that that a at least a um a moderate understanding of this kind of thing is being had now um even through the general public you know people are aware of PTSD i was led just through some kind of random reading the other day uh, to read about um, soldiers in World War II who had what they called shell shock, which we now understand as mm-hmm. PTSD, but they were actually labeled as cowards. Um, mm-hmm. And in some cases were actually executed for cowardice, which is just awful. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just so awful. Um, but, you know, in a lot of cases um, were either dishonorably discharged or were shunned by their friends and family because they were thought of as being cowards when they they just had this incredible trauma. Hmm. Yeah, that's really sad. Yeah. So, well, I'd like to share a quote out of this book that, that he he opened with it's it's on the first page chapter one the power of unspoke of an unspoken voice and I I picked this quote because it really sums up a lot of what we're talking about and this is from the I Ching hexagram fifty one circa twenty five hundred B C um, when a man has learned within his heart what fear and trembling mean he is safeguarded against any terror produced by outside influences. Hmm. Mm. Nice. So definitely body work can be a way of staying sane in an unsane insane world. Yeah. <laughs> and relieving those yeah. issues in your tissues. <laughs> yeah. In conjunction with areolas. Yeah. Well, that's uh I mean that's a good place to um to kind of bring it to a close, not the entire show. Of course, we have the pet health segment for today. Um, so let's uh, let's listen to Zoya here, and she has a segment for us about uh, massage for uh, animals. And this is about uh, 10 minutes, and then when we come back, we will uh, we'll wrap it up. So here's Zoya. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya, and today I would like to talk to you about the benefits of massage for pets. But first, a couple of news items about cats. If you have an account on one of the social networks, or you like watching funny cat videos, it's possible that you saw various videos where people scare their cats with cucumbers. Poor animals jump in the air and run away. Sure, it's funny, but it's certainly not so for the felines. 
So various animal behaviorist experts say that with the startle response, a cat will often try to get out of there as quickly as possible and then reassess from a distance. But the problem is that the cucumber trauma could cause long-term problems for cats. There could be long-term psychological problems because some cats are quite delicate. Veterinarians say that these put, uh, pet owners are terrifying their cats and cats are reacting like this because they are worried that something is going to hurt them. And people are doing this in the, ho in the house where pets need to be safe and secure. Not cool. Another theory is that felines jump that high because they mistake the cucumber for a snake that has a similar shape. It's an instinctual thing. It doesn't matter that they wouldn't try to hunt it afterwards um, or would try to hunt it afterwards because cats are known sometimes to hunt snakes. But the first instinct would be to avoid being beaten. And this was actually my favorite theory until I had a chance to stumble upon a Russian version of this experiment. Apparently Russians decided to do their own cats and cucumbers flash mob. But except for one cat, the rest of the Russian felines displayed a rather interesting reaction. Instead of jumping and being scared of the vegetable, the moment they saw it, they just turned around slowly with a very perplexed expression and then displayed a curious attitude. They wanted to know what is this strange thing lying on the floor. Some even sniffed it or tried to play with it. Not sure if we should or could make some sort of conclusion based on this observation, but it is indeed interesting. But let's move on. Another interesting news item that I stumbled upon was about the research. Why cats are fuzzy eaters, but dogs will consume almost anything. Anyone who watched the cat throwing up after munching on grass know that uh, feline friends aren't natural plant eaters. So you might be surprised to discover that these carnivorous animals share some important genes that are more typically associated with herbivores. And this might help explain why cats aren't always easy to please when it comes to food. New research suggests that cats possess uh, genes that protect vegetarian animals from ingesting poisonous plants by giving them the ability to taste bitter. Animals use their sense of taste uh, to detect uh, whether a potential food is nutritious or harmful. A sweet taste uh, signals the presence of sugars, an important source of energy. A bitter taste, on the other hand, evolves a defense mechanism against harmful toxins commonly found in plants and upripe, unripe fruits. Evolution has repeatedly tweaked animals' taste uh, buds to suit various dietary needs. Changes in an animal diet can eliminate the need to send certain chemicals in food and so receptor genes mutate, destroying the ability to make a working protein. One example of this comes from strictly meat-eating cats who no longer taste sweetness. But if bitter detection evolves to warn of plant toxins, then it stands to reason that cats shouldn't be able to taste bitter either. Humans and other vegetable munching animals can taste bitter because we possess bitter taste receptor genes. If cats have lost the ability to taste bitterness, 
we should find the receptor genes um, rebuilt with uh, mutations. And geneticists at the um, Monell Chemical Census Center in Philadelphia, uh, they uh, test, they basically tested the genome of cats and other carnivorous mammals like dogs, ferrets, and polar bears to see if our carnivorous cousins have beaten genes. And they were surprised to find that cats have 12 different genes for bitter taste. Dogs, ferrets, and polar bears are equally well endowed. So if meat-eating animals are unlikely to encounter any bitter uh, foods, why have cats retained the ability to detect bitter taste? Domestic cats owners know how unpredictable cats' dietary choices can be. Some of the presence cats uh, cats bring to the owners include frogs, toads, and other animals that can contain bitter and toxic compounds in their skin and bodies. And so the research results show that bitter receptors uh, empower cats to detect these potential toxins, giving them the ability to reject noxious foods and avoid poisoning. The discovery of feline bitter receptors might explain why cats have got a reputation as picky eaters but their unfuzzy canine counterparts have a similar number of bitter taste receptors. So why are cats so finicky? One answer might lie in how the cat receptors uh, detect bitter tasting compounds. Research uh, published earlier this year by another uh, team of researchers showed that some of the cat uh, taste receptors are especially sensitive to bitter compounds and even more sensitive to uh, denatonium that uh, than the same receptor in humans. Perhaps cats are also more sensitive to bitter chemicals than dogs, or they may detect a greater number of bitter compounds in the everyday diet. Food that tastes bland to us or to a dog could be an unpleasant gastronomic experience to cats. for cats. So rather than branding cats as picky, perhaps we should think of them as discerning feline foodies. And now let's talk a bit uh, about benefits of massage for animals. We all love massage, and animals surely love massage too. Not only dogs, also cats. Do You should be careful about that with them. And even rats and other furry creatures. Massage can help your pet's physical and mental health by increasing their circulation and helping eliminate toxins and waste from their bodies. Improving, improving their joint flexibility and muscle tone, which can be very beneficial to older animals. Improving the condition of the skin, coat, gums, and teeth. Improving the attitude and ability to focus, which can affect behavior. Massage for animals indeed can help with behavior and temperament problems by gaining their trust uh, through the act of being touched, uh, calming down a nervous or hyper pet, helping a shy or submissive pet feel more secure, relaxing an aggressive or dominant pet. Massage can help uh, pets that are recovering from injuries or have chronic conditions by enabling atrophying muscles to work the way they are supposed to, or by reducing the recovery time from soft tissue injuries, or providing relief from muscle soreness and spasms or relieving pain and discomfort associated with conditions such as arthritis and the 
hip dysplasia. But there are some precautions with massage uh, therapy for animals. If your animal is acting injured or ill, you should consult with a vet for a proper diagnosis to make sure massage is appropriate. In some types of inflammation, massage is actually counterindicated. If your animal has been diagnosed with a serious illness or injury, you should consult with a vet prior to having a massage to make sure it will be beneficial and not detrimental. Never massage an animal that has low blood pressure, fever, poisoning, severe trauma, severe debilitation in shock, heat stroke, a leg where there may be circulatory problem due to thrombosis, or an injury or illness not diagnosed by a vet. Best way of administering massage is a preventive fun measure, and it also facilitates a greater closeness and bond between you and your animal. Uh, and they are also also cute when enjoying it. Well, this is it for today. Hope this segment was interesting and have a nice day. when we end the show on Fridays I find myself doing that goat noise just kind of randomly <laughs> <laughs> well thank you Zoe that was really fascinating and weird about the uh, the bitter receptors for cats I know my cat is a super picky eater but like Zoe said maybe I should should refer to him as a discerning foodie instead <laughs> um, so uh, I must uh, admit my my guilt here. I did not have a recipe for us t- uh, today. However, um, Doug is going to enlighten us uh, a little bit on uh, some experimenting that he has done with chocolate. And so I know this is not a uh, a one for one recipe, but Doug, do you mind filling us in on that a little bit? I think Doug stepped away. Yeah, sorry. Oh, there he is. I'm back. Yeah, no sorry. problem. I had somebody at the door here delivering a package. Sorry about that. Um, no problem. But yeah. Of the yeah. bentonite chocolate, I'm assuming we're going to right now? Yes. 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 Sorry. Um, yeah, so after the uh, the show last week, we were talking about uh, radiation, and uh, I got inspired after Jonathan was talking about the uh, after the, the uh, Chernobyl disaster that the, uh, the Russian government was handing out chocolate that had bentonite clay in it um, as a way of kind of getting the clay into people to uh, detox some of the uh, radioactive particles. So I was like, all right, I'll give this a try. I like uh, kind of experimenting with chocolate sometimes. So um, what I did, I don't have a, like a proper recipe or anything because I was just kind of winging it. But uh, I basically took uh, about uh, a cup of cocoa butter and a cup of uh, cocoa. Um, I put those into, uh, like I set up a double boiler. So I put a pot on the stove with the... Uh, with simmering water in it and put a uh, metal bowl on top of that, a stainless steel bowl. Uh, so melted the cocoa butter in there, added in the cocoa powder, um, gave that a good stir, uh, put in a little pinch of salt. Um, and then as a sweetener, I've had some issues with sweeteners in the past when trying to make uh, chocolate. Um, you, I, I, liked, I wanted to try and use xylitol, and xylitol does not incorporate well in with cocoa butter. Uh, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to actually melt at all. It will stay in a crystallized form. Um, I know you can get around that by using um, some percentage of butter 
uh, with your, your cocoa butter or making your chocolates entirely out of butter instead of using cocoa butter. But uh, I'm, I'm more of a purist when it comes to chocolate, and I try and do it with just the cocoa <laughs> butter. Um, so anyway, I used a, um, a sweetener that's uh, – you can get it here in North America. I don't know how available it is uh, in other parts of the world, but uh, it's called Swerve. And it's basically a combination of uh, erythritol and oligosaccharides, which are a fiber that have a naturally sweet taste to them. So I used um, probably two teaspoons of that um, and stirred that up. It seemed to incorporate better than xylitol does, but still not 100% perfect. And then I added two teaspoons of bentonite clay. Mixed that up really good. Um, poured that into molds. Um, you can just put it onto like a cookie sheet with some wax paper on it. Um, and then uh, you can just kind of break that up afterwards. But I have uh, been experimenting, as I said, so I actually have chocolate molds. And uh, then I just put it into the fridge for uh, it was probably a good hour uh, just to make sure that it hardened. Um, oh, before that, actually, I did sprinkle some uh, xylitol um, onto the top of the chocolate um, just to, you know, it, it did stay crystallized, but it just kind of added a little bit of sweetness to it. Um, oh, I can see somebody in the uh, chat room here has said uh, to put the xylitol in a grinder to powderize it. I've tried that. It still seems to recrystallize once you put it in with the, uh, with the cocoa butter. Um, so that, that, that actually didn't work either. Uh, but anyway, so what I ended up with were these chocolate bars that uh, had bentonite clay in them, and it's, it's quite delicious. Uh, it did turn out pretty sweet. Um, it has a bit of a gritty texture to it, not necessarily in a bad way. It just kind of has some, like, toothiness to it. But, uh, no, nah, my roommate seemed to like it, and uh, it seemed to work out pretty well. And you killed radiation in the process. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and heavy metal. And heavy metal. <laughs> Would put some potassium iodide tablets with decorations in its chocolate bar. <laughs> <laughs> the best radiation detox protocol. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Thanks, Doug. I am def- I'm going to be trying that straight away. Really <laughs> yeah. Have uh, Have you ever tried stevia with the chocolate? Uh, I do actually add a couple of, I, I forgot to mention that actually I did add a couple of drops of stevia to it as well and I usually do I don't like using it as the primary sweetener just because it has I, I don't know if you describe it as a bitter taste but it just has this kind of uh, this sharp sweetness to it that I, I it, it isn't I, I don't like it as the main sweetener I find it's okay if you round it out with another sweetener but uh, stevia on its own I'm not totally a big fan of cool I'm not either I'm not either yeah, yeah. Yeah, it works well with xylitol. If if you can if you can balance it out, then it can work really well. Mm-hmm. You just have to get the balance with with the stevia, I think. Yeah. I noticed that when I use uh, stevia with the uh, fat bomb custard, um, it actually has kind of a like metallic flavor almost. Mm-hmm. If I yeah. use too much. I find if you add um, if you balance it out with salt if you don't have any other sweetener then in 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 a fat bomb like if you add loads of salt <laughs> then then <laughs> if you get it just right it can actually it can turn out really good but if you get it wrong then it it's just extremely bitter <laughs> it's not, <laughs> not pleasant <laughs> it would be the perfect chemistry <laughs> <laughs> it's alchemy yeah alchemy <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks again, Doug. That was great. Um, like I said, I'm definitely going to be trying that. 
Hope our listeners give it a shot. Um, so that's our It'll be a Christmas uh, gift. <laughs> oh yes, there you go. For sure, that's a great idea. Well, that's our uh, that's our show for today. Um, we will be back uh, next week on the 18th, uh, but then on the uh, on the 25th, uh, that is uh, that Friday uh, is going to be the holidays. Um, so we are right now tentatively planning to not have a show uh, two weeks from today. Um, so we will keep you posted on on what we're doing there. Um, but we will be back next week. And so we'd like to thank all of our uh, listeners and our chat participants. We had a nice, busy chat today. Um, And our callers, Lynn and Nancy, thank you for calling in. That was awesome. Um, So be sure to tune in to the other two SOT Radio shows on Blog Talk Radio, uh, The Truth Perspective, tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern, and Behind the Headlines on Sunday, also at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, And... There will be some good topics being covered there. Those guys always do a great job. So thanks Mm -hmm. again, and we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.